Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kalshi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok. Will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down? Or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L-S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Gun to your head, not who you want. Who will be the President of the United States in November 2024? Gun to my head, I think it's. I'm still going to say Joe Biden, even though if it was anybody but Trump, because I think Trump's going to get the nomination, he would. It would be over for him. But it, you know, like my view is that the polls that show Trump consistently beating Biden in these swing states are not taking into account that when the chips are down, there are more people in this country who are going to be driven to vote who hate Donald Trump than love him. We saw it in 2020, and I think we'll see it again. Now it's, I, listen, I was wrong. I remember 2016 coming on this show saying, no way Trump's going to win. And I was wrong. So, I mean, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I still think that lots of people who think that Trump's going to win, like, remember, there's still all these people who they're driven by the negative partisanship. They will do anything to stop him, including voting for a guy who is not all there mentally and is, you know, clearly showing his age in every possible way. So I would say, you know, gun to my head at this point, I'd say Biden, although it's much closer than it probably should be. Boom! Have no fear. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. Biggity boom. Have no fear. The Iggity I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. On today's I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, I got my man Eli Lake. Yo, Eli. Eli Lake, longtime contributor to the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. He's actually the official, unofficial world correspondent of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast podcast. We're talking Israel. We're talking Jews. We're talking Jews that hate Jews. We're talking myths. We're talking stereotypes. And we're talking shit with my man, Eli Lake, official unofficial correspondent of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Miles Jordan, a.k.a. the Bleach Brothers, a.k.a. the Dust Brothers. Start this puppy over to real nice. Start this puppy over to real loud. But most importantly, start this museum quality, very informative, very, very aggressive, fully disruptive I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast off with something real funky. See, I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, liggity, let's fucking go. Boom. Boom. Have no fear, the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast is here. Have no fear, the I am 
Riggedy Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. Name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Gringo Man Dingo, a.k.a. the Inflamed Ashkenazi, a.k.a. the Disruptive Warrior. Welcome to the Iron Dome of Disruption. Welcome to the Ziggity Zone of Disruption. And without further, further ado, I am bringing in the official, yet unofficial, <laughs> but still official, world news correspondent of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, the great Eli Lake, who has been with us for oh so long, but hasn't been with the podcast for a minute. The unofficial official, but still unofficially official, Eli Lake, the I Am Rappaport world correspondent. Welcome back. It has been too long since I've had you on the podcast, my man. Great to be here with the Sultan of Sniff, the inflamed Ashkenazi. Boom. Boom. It's Anyway, and I just want to thank you as, as a Jew living in diaspora to see you using your platform and your celebrity to make the case that it is ridiculous to say that Israel is the bad guys, to demonize and defame the state of Israel after October 7th. It has been... Uh, a rough time, I think, for most Jews, especially living in the West. And I think you've been a real source of light, and I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. I mean, I always, you know, when I was thinking about you coming back on the podcast, I was like, you know, so much of my political, social stuff has come from you and conversations we've had and information you've given me and podcast we've done so i appreciate that and i you know i think it takes a, a a true blue village of us and not just jews to 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 stand you know as the great nipsey hustle said 10 toes down and you know stand up for what's right stand up for you know oh, what has happened and stand up for you know you know we don't have to fucking you know backpedal we don't have to explain ourselves i think one of the things about jewish people is you know people accuse us of a controlling this and running that and owning this and owning that and i feel like you know it doesn't have to be literally but figuratively we should start being yeah motherfucker we do do all that we are good people we are accomplished people we are smart people we are creative people and we're also very generous people we're very humble people but if push comes to shove you know like if you want to start you know talking shit you know i think we have to like you know push back and that's my attitude i know everybody's definition of the word fighting is different and i think you know a lot of different jewish people you know, fight and push back differently as you do. Your podcast is great. Uh, the the re-education, is it the re-education of it Eli It is the re-education, yes. So why I, do you call it the re-education? I love that. Obviously, the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Well, I was thinking in some ways of that, but it was uh, it was my wife who, who said, you should just call it the re-education because you're always talking about how people who think they know things don't know anything and you should just call it the re-education. And I thought it was interesting and I kind of wanted to reclaim it from a terrible history of re-education camps. Obviously, I'm not about that. Right. Um, and I felt like it was a sticky term, like you would remember it, you know, or something like that. So, uh, you know, it's been good. We've been building. We, we're, we're about 20,000 downloads an episode now, which is getting there. So it's been, I love it. I think podcasting is a great medium right now for journalism and for anybody who's interested in communicating. Cause I think that there's a lot, there's millions of people out there who listen and it's, I get, it's, it's a much more intimate medium and I love it. I mean, I still write obviously, but right. my passion is with the podcasting. Well, you're really good at it. Your podcasts are, are informative. They're fun. They, you lay things out in an attainable way you know, with the misinformation, the information, the, you know, the convoluted information, the complex information, uh, you know, the way you, you lay things out when you've joined me on the podcast and now uh, that you've branched out to have the re-education of Eli Lake, um, I, which everybody should listen to. Like I said, it's, he, he lays out stuff. And it's not all just Jewish stuff. Um, you, you, why don't you, um, just because some people are new listeners... Yeah. 
give a little history of who you are and what you've done. You know, give your sure. uh, your little resume of to people. The, the short list. You don't have to brag too much, but I, a humble brag. Humble brag would say I've been a journalist for nearly thirty years. Um, wow. You know, mainly in print. Uh, I've written for you know I was many many years with the Daily Beast and Newsweek. I worked for Bloomberg as a columnist for many years. I've been, you know, I've, I've written a lot for the New Republic. I now write a lot of longer essays for Commentary Magazine. Um, I've been all around the world as a correspondent covering wars. Uh, I started the podcast nearly two years ago. It'll be two years in a couple months. And we've covered on this podcast, uh, some of our, our great episodes include a two-parter on uh, the legacy of Bobby Kennedy, not Bobby Kennedy Jr., but the, his, his father. I did something called Church and Deep State, which was about the 1975 hearings, which were coming on the 50th anniversary of, that really for the first time documented what the CIA, the FBI, and uh, the sort of shadow government of the United States was all about. And I think that was one of our one of our best ones and keep your ears out for a longer kind of podcast series that were going to be based on, on called on the American deep state. We've covered free speech issues. Uh, you know, I, as well as since October 7th, like you, I have been really moved by trying to understand, you know, this sort of threat against the Jewish state. And so we've done a lot of Israel focused stuff recently. I also love to kind of get into history. So one of my favorite episodes that we did was uh, uh, about a year ago on uh, the, the story of the real story of Hanukkah. Like what was, you know, trying to bring in the situation of what were the Maccabees fighting and why were they fighting and what did it mean? Um, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback for that. So it's a great medium. And I will say this. Your use of music in the I Am Rappaport podcast has kind of influenced me. Like, I try to bring in music to try to partially tell some of the stories in my monologues. I think that's a really powerful way to try to get it across, too. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And uh, you're doing it well. And, um, you know, I have to give a shout out to the music, to the Dust Brothers, of, uh, of course, Miles Jordan, yeah. uh, Miles Davis, respectfully, uh, Jordan Winter, respectfully. Um, your last episode, which you and I were talking about offline, your last episode of uh, uh, the re-education of Eli Lake, I loved because, you know, you were in a way talking shit, but you do it in a more eloquent way. Um, so let, let's get into it. You were talking yeah. about... And I, 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 to be honest, I don't know if you made up this term, but the shit made me laugh. You were talking about as a Jew, Jews. You were the talking as a Jews. Uh, <laughs> the as a Jews. But I, I think you have to like be clear. Like it's a, as a Jew, Jews. The as a Jews. Yeah. These are people. I'll let you explain it. But these are people who start most of their. Their stories, whether they're writing them, whether they, they're talking on podcasts, whether they're showing up on interviews, they'll go, well, as a Jew, and then you know it's fucking downhill from there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, if, you start, if you start a conversation by going, as a Jew, uh, I'll say as a Jew, it's going to go downhill from there. So break down the as a Jews and break down some of, of your favorite or unfavorite um, as a Jews who, who have been on the scene uh, uh, since October 7th. Because I'll say my number one guy uh, who should be in a fucking rubber room and I don't give a fuck. I, I, here's my thing about Norman Finkelstein. Norman Finkelstein's getting fucking, he's like a Muppet. Okay, and his big claim to fame is that his parents survived the Holocaust. And I believe that when Norman Finkelstein gets to heaven, and the only reason why he'll get to heaven is because his parents are going to, you know, work uh, their magic to get him to heaven. I believe that when Norman Finkelstein's parents see him in heaven, they're going to give him the ass kicking that they never gave him in real Life. He's my number one, a least favorite as a Jew because, like I said, his parents survived the Holocaust. But he's going around. This guy, you, if he wasn't Jewish, you would say this is the biggest fucking anti-Semite living. So break down the as a Jew Jews. Well, you, you were right to start with Norman Finkelstein because he is the guy who I would say is almost the intellectual godfather of this new generation of Jews who display and advertise their Jewishness to credentialize slanders and libels of Israel. 
And it's part of, as I see it, a long tradition. There have always been Jews who've sided with the enemies of our people. And it goes back to the book of Maccabees. I don't need to get into too much of this, but I spent a lot of time in my monologue. But in the Middle Ages, there were Jews who would convert to Catholicism or Christianity and then tell the the church or or, or various like Dutch uh, barons and dukes and things like that who had power in Europe when our people were powerless that the Talmud, the ancient texts of our religion were heresies and that we were secretly studying black magic and we hated the Christians and we, in our rituals, we would have the blood of children to make our matzah. (laughs) And these were all lies. But when a Jew says, I used to be with this crowd, then it gives it a kind of credentializing. It gives it a, you know, it, it seems like it's more true, even though it's a lie. And what we're seeing now is that Israel is defined as the worst state in the world, the worst country you can imagine. They're committing a genocide. They're an apartheid state. Oftentimes, they're compared to Nazis. And this is something that Finkelstein started doing, if you can believe it, more than 40 years ago. There's a great, I don't want to say great, there's a documentary about him. And it's a shit documentary. It's poorly made, but it yeah. shows this. But go on. You, yeah, you're I, right. I watched it because it's great because you just it's you can see it all light out. Yes, and it's and it's this is made in 2009 when we weren't really kind of having the same problem that we have now in 2024. But it shows when he's a young man in 1982, he's protesting Israel's war in Lebanon. And he he makes a poster that says, you know, basically saying the Israeli Nazi regime should stop its Holocaust in Lebanon. Now, if he was just a Gentile, he was a non-Jew, somebody would say, that's totally anti-Semitic. What are you talking about? But he's the child of Holocaust survivors. So he gets a pass. And then people then say, oh, look, this guy whose parents were in the Holocaust, who survived, you know, Auschwitz, Look what he's saying is the Israels are Nazis, so maybe there's something to it. And that's the point is that like it's that credentializing of the slander with your Jewishness. And it, as I say, I tried to sort of place that historically. And what Finkelstein has sort of inspired, if you will, is another generation. There are you know people you can find like uh, Max Blumenthal, uh, his father's Jewish, his mother is Catholic. But he's somebody who has devoted since October 7th, his journalistic energies to allegedly, he's not really doing it, but debunking the idea that Hamas attacked civilians or that they were there were mass rapes in it. And, you know, he's he's tried to write these pieces saying that like all this is like this pro-Zionist propaganda. There are there's an organization he, he can suck my fucking dick. Those are my words, not Eli Lake's words. Anyway, go ahead. There's Jewish Voice for Peace, which um, you know, when the South African case was brought at The Hague, which is totally meritless and, in my view, a, a sort of new blood libel in some ways, they put out a press release that said, this is so good for our movement. We can build on this to delegitimize the apartheid regime of Israel. And that's allegedly Jewish voices. And allegedly. Allegedly, right. Now, it would be different, right, if it was like Palestinian voices against Israel. That we expect. But when it's the Jews who do it, for someone who doesn't have a background or, you know, hasn't educated themselves on these things, it looks like, well, you know, it's there are even Jews who who take this extreme position. So what am I thinking? So that's what we're talking about. And Finkelstein, as I say, is the sort of intellectual godfather of this new movement. And it's interesting because he said in 2020 that he was going to give up on his lifelong campaign to demonize Israel because he didn't think there was anything he could do to make a difference. October 7th happened. The first thing he writes on his substack is that it warmed every fiber in his body. He compared it to Nat Turner's slave revolt, which is insane, as if the people of Gaza were like the slaves of Israel. That's just not true. He calls Gaza a concentration camp, which is disgusting if you think about it. And you know, and also factually not true. But this is who he is. And his he's blown up since I, there's a whole lot of platforms, especially in the space that you and I occupy in the podcasts and in other kind of YouTube channels where he has become this go-to guest. He is treated with undue respect. Right. And, you know, this is a problem. And the fact of the matter is he uses his... Judaism and the fact that he is his parents were survivors of the Holocaust 
as this sort of badge, the shield to say, look, and now I'm going to say terrible things about Israel. And just sort of getting back to what you said earlier, I'm not entirely sure, based on just a little bit of research and a, a brief conversation with I had with him after a debate I did in uh, November with him, that his parents would necessarily disapprove. They were hardcore Stalinists who did not like Israel. And, you know, he claims at least that his parents, you know, shared a lot of his views, or at least his mother did. So I don't know what to make of that. And I think it also shows that, hey, the Jewish people are diverse. We have all types, even, you know, dummies like this, you know? So I I totally agree. And and I have no problem with diverse opinions. And I have no problem with criticism of Israel. Israel, uh, the government of Israel is flawed. Um, Netanyahu is very flawed. I am no expert by any means. Uh, to speak on the history, the good, the bad, or the difference of the history of the government of Israel. You know, for me, and I'll let you know, let you get into it, and I've said this before, for me, when it becomes eradicate Israel, when it becomes fuck all the Jews, when it becomes fuck you, you Zionist pig, uh, when it becomes all that, that's when I sort of step forward. That's yeah. when I get incited. You know, th- th- so many things are being weaponized. It's like, if you stand up for the fact that, you know, I don't know. Did you see that 47 minute footage that was released of all the, the verified footage from October 7th? Did you, I haven't did you seen see- that. I, I, I did in the first days, try to find as much as I could on YouTube and telegram. And frankly, I've seen enough. And by yeah, the way, exactly. By the way, exactly I'll say this, the like, Hamas spokespeople themselves are the ones saying, yeah, we, we did it. We ordered the code red. We did it. I mean, they, and then we'll do it again. They don't want a ceasefire. I mean, this is the amazing thing is that people are like, you should pressure Israel into a ceasefire. What about Hamas? They're saying we're going to keep doing October 7th. So what are you going to do with that? I know. It's so fucking frustrating, man. It's so fucking frustrating. And and I agree. You don't need to see it again. If you've seen, if you see 60 seconds of it, 15 seconds of it, you it's don't disgu- need to it's see horrible. it. It's horrible. It's just, it's unspeakable. And, uh, and listen, are there going to be innocent civilians, children who are killed in the Israeli response in this particular war that they are fighting? Yes. And that's a tragedy. But we don't measure war crimes, we don't measure the morality of armies based on the casualty numbers. Because if we did, then the bad guys in World War II would be America, Britain, and the Allies, because they killed more Nazis and Japanese fascists than other way around. Just in the atomic bomb, the bombing of Dresden, these were terrible things where lots of innocents were killed. It is about why. What is the goal What are the precautions that you've taken? And in World War II, there were very little precautions that were taken. Israel does take some. The problem that Israel faces is that they're fighting an enemy, unique in some ways to modern warfare, that wants more casualties on its own side. And that's the difference, is that if you say, which they did, move away from this area, we are going to start bombing. And then Hamas does not allow the people to leave and holds them captive. If you say, all right, we're going to allow humanitarian aid trucks in, and then Hamas takes that for themselves and puts it in their tunnels, and the people remain starving and without electricity, well, what do you do about that? The problem is that you've got this demonic enemy that Israel has to fight. And I always say, don't conflate, don't confuse, don't equate Hamas, the leadership right now in Gaza, with the people who are stuck living under them. But in some ways, that is what the so-called Jews who are defending all this stuff, saying, well, what do you expect when you people are, you know, subjugated like this? They're basically saying all of Gaza is Hamas, and it's okay because the resistance is justified after occupation, which is like a crazy thing. But if you think about it, It's insulting to Palestinians. That's why I say Norman Finkelstein is not only a kind of Shonda for the Jews, he's a false friend of the Palestinians because he's willing to apologize and excuse actions that endanger the Palestinians. I mean, everybody would understand with a country like Israel that has a very powerful military. You do some crazy demonic shit like this, there's going to be a response. 
I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm just looking at it from the perspective. He claims to be this advocate for the Palestinians. If you cared about Palestinians, you'd be, what the hell is wrong with you? You would be on the side of Palestinians trying to get rid of Hamas, not what he's doing, which is making excuses for them. I am Rappaport Podcast. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the Draft King's YouTube channel is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. John Wall, baby, needs no introduction. Every week, the five-time NBA All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA and what's going on now in the league. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John Wall will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show to give their unfiltered accounts of what's really going on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kaushi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok, will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L-S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Come up a lot that have come up a lot since October 7th that I would like you to clarify is occupation. Occupation. Yeah. Uh, Israel occupies. Israel are occupiers. The occupation. Um, uh, and then I want to get into apartheid, that Israel yeah. is an apartheid state. Um, but let's start with occupation. Where does this come from? What's valid? What's not valid? I know, like, it's hard to break it down in podcast form. And I'd like you to break it down in the most basic terms because there's so much history involved. And I've had it broken down to me so many times in the last few years. And I've had it broken down to me since October 7th numerous times. And it's still so, like, you. I feel like you need, like, a chart. But break down what people mean when they accuse Israel of occupation and the myth of the occupation of Palestine by Israel? Well, so sometimes people say occupation and they mean all of Israel. That that's means Israel shouldn't exist. That's easy to dismiss. There has been a Jewish claim to this land since, you know, Abraham and Moses. I mean, you can't, I mean, for leaving the Bible aside, there's been archaeological evidence that Jews have lived in this land since 11th century BC. Now, that said, it really starts with 1967. That's the Six-Day War when uh, pretty much every Arab army attacks Israel, led by Syria and Egypt. And, um, well, I should say Israel strikes first, but it's after there's, it's pretty clear there's going to be an invasion, and they cut off uh, the Suez Canal, which is an act of war. We can get into that later. But the point is, is that Israel wins a decisive victory. And, and in the victory, they claim the Sinai, they claim Golan Heights, but most importantly, they claim what you would call Judea and Samaria, or sometimes the West Bank. 
and they reunified Jerusalem. Now, they win this in a war, and if you wanted to say that they kept it, you have to look at a couple other facts. First of all, the first response after winning the war was, can we negotiate with the Arab League to come up with a peace deal in exchange for the territory? And the response was the famous three no's of the what's known as the Khartoum Conference. And so at that point, the settlement projects begin in the West Bank. This is controversial, and to this day, you will find many opinions on it. And that was started under um, the governments after 67. It's expanded the settlement project uh, in 1977 after the right-wing coalition known as Likud wins. And then at that point, you have to ask yourself, all right, is the idea that eventually this land that was won in a war that was started in many ways by the Arabs, is it, is it meant that it returns to Jordan as the Sinai was returned to Egypt? Well, in this period you know, in this long scope of sweep of history, you should say, and starting in the 1990s, there's this idea that eventually there should be an independent Palestinian state. And now you have to get into some interesting points, which is one, the Israelis for, have allowed for there to be something of a kind of provisional governing authority known as the Palestinian Authority in this region. And the Palestinian Authority, at least in the West Bank, cooperates with the Israel Defense Forces against terrorist elements there. Now, technically, you know, legal scholars can differ, but that's still technically kind of an occupation, but it's not like the brutal occupation that we would associate with a war of conquest or something like that. As for Gaza, the Israelis left Gaza, took out its soldiers and its this, a few settlers and settlement communities in Gaza in 2005. Um, then there were Palestinian elections for the legislature. Hamas wins narrowly. Uh, there is a dispute within the Palestinian polity. The Palestinian group Fatah, which is sort of the major ruling party of the Palestinian Authority, they don't want to seat the Hamas legislators. So Hamas then stages a kind of military coup in Gaza, kicking out the Palestinian Authority, the, the forces loyal to Fatah, not just kicking them out, brutally killing them in a lot of cases, and they take over Gaza. Now, Hamas has never recognized Israel's right to exist. It's responsible for the waves of suicide bombs and other kinds of terrorist attacks. And as a result of that coup, Israel begins basically applying a, what I would say it's sometimes it's called a blockade. It's not a blockade because they allow lots of stuff in, but they want to make sure that this group is not importing weapons. So it's border controls. And there's another border, which no one ever talks about, by the way, and it's Egypt. And Egypt also largely keeps their borders shut because Hamas is a terrorist group. Now, that has been the situation. I would argue, because people say, well, if you control the borders and the fishing areas and everything around that, that is the equivalent of an occupation. But I would say, well, okay, border controls, you don't think they're necessary after seeing what they did on October 7th, let alone the many rocket wars that they launch. So how does Israel make sure that this terrorist group, which took over in Gaza, is not allowed to import Everything from the hang gliders they used, to the bulletproof vests, to the submachine guns, and the Katusha rockets, and the grenades, and all the things they used to kill Jews on October 7th, let alone the rocket war that they launched every few years in the period leading up to October 7th. And they never have an answer to that. So there's a, it's kind of a practical question. So the idea that you could just have Israel end the occupation and then not address this issue of what has been a kind of persistent war, at least among factions of the Palestinians, against Jewish citizens, um, it's unrealistic. And again, it's only telling like one side of the story. What I try to do here, you know my perspective, I'm pro-Israel, but I try to give it from both sides. I mean, there's an argument that, you know, there should have never been any settlements in this area, and they should have been prepared to eventually return it or whatever. But... On the other hand, there's been a security problem from the West Bank and from the Gaza area since almost, you know, from the beginning of the Six-Day War. And what do you expect the Israelis to do about it? So when people criticize this idea that after they left, they still kept these border controls on, I'm like, well, what are you going to do when a terrorist group takes over that territory? What do most people say 
when you bring up the border control or the secure, it's not border control, security control. Well, what is the argument of the quote unquote pro Palestinian people regarding that? Because they don't really have an argument. I mean, they get back to this talking point about, you know, the UN recognizes the right of indigenous peoples to resist or stuff like that. And I, to which I say, there's different kinds of resistance. You know, it, it, when you're talking about the struggle to form Israel uh, in the 1940s and before then, there were what you would consider maybe to be acts of terrorism, certainly political assassinations on the part of some of the Jewish groups like the Irgun or the Stern Gang. There was a famous bombing of the King David Hotel, which was also the British military headquarters. But there were efforts that were done, even though it didn't work in that case, to try to warn civilians to get out of here. There was a phone call that said, we're about to place a bomb at the King David Hotel, you should leave. That warning was ignored. There were big signs that were placed near the explosives in Hebrew, English, and Arabic. Those are efforts that were taken by, let's call it, Jewish resistors that are totally different than an organization that seeks to maximize as many civilian casualties as it can. So if you kind of want to say, well, you have a right to resistance, do you have a right to, you know, rape and kidnap babies and burn families alive? I mean, that's what we're talking about sadistic acts that really are just a way of sort of expressing your hatred of, a, of another people. And they're, even though I wouldn't say it's not a genocide, it is a genocidal act. You just want to wipe out the Jews. Um, whereas It's not that, a genocide because Israel, you know, can defend better itself late than never. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, but I mean, they would have, they would have been still killing to this day. Uh, uh, here we are in January. They would have been fucking They would, if they, if they had it their way, they would have, since October 7th to January, uh, here we are, January 20-something, they would have still been fucking going. That's a fuck. They came in there. They didn't come in there to fucking, you know, shake hands. They didn't come in there to hold hands, and they didn't come in here to, uh, to take land back. They came in there to kill. Exactly. And so if you want to call that resistance, I think what you're doing is you're playing a word game. It's similar like when you say what Israel's doing is genocide. You're playing a word game. You're redefining right. something in order to sort of make a um, an incendiary political point. And it doesn't wash, but unfortunately, lots of people really believe this stuff. And the other thing that I would just point out, especially when it comes to Gaza, but it also applies to the Palestinian Authority. The local Palestinian governments have been cr quite cruel to their own citizens. When you are suspected of being a collaborator with Israel, whether you are or you're not, the punishment is death and torture for you. And there is no, there's no like independent judiciary in Gaza. It's like all these crazy fanatical Islamic jurists who say, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. And there are videos, you can find them on YouTube, of individuals who are dragged through the streets of Gaza City on the backs of motorcycles. That is a cruelty that I never hear from the Finkelsteins and the Blumenthal's of this world. We never hear them criticize Hamas if they care so much about Palestinians. Why do you think Palestinians would want to live under somebody like that? I mean, like, to give you a sense of how depraved Hamas is, they have in the past, like, issued orders against having, like, both gendered hair salons. So they would shut down a barbershop if it ever cut a woman's hair. That's how crazy they are. And then you have, a, you've, you've talked about this on your show, it's brilliant, I love this, but yeah, you have like queers for Palestine. Do you know how long you'd last as a queer in Palestine? Give me a break. So there's something about that's like, if you're going to get into this and you're going to only pick and choose certain rights that you want to talk about when it comes to Palestinians and ignore the abolition of those rights from these so-called Palestinian leaders, then I have to ask you, well, do you really care about Palestinians or you just want to demonize the Jews? I think they just want to demonize the Jews. You know, one thing um, you mentioned just now about the G word, and you texted this to me, uh, you said ge the genocide label is not just a lie, it's yeah. an incitement. It is. The genocide label is not just a lie, it's an incitement. And I think that that clearly and concisely for me, again, I don't speak on behalf of anybody. I speak on behalf of myself, except for I speak on behalf of all Jews as a Jew. <laughs> so only if I say as a Jew, I'm speaking on behalf of the millions of Jews in the world. Unless I, I don't say that. I'm only speaking on behalf of myself. But again, you know, 
that genocide word and saying it, you know, it is an incitement. Break that down because I think it's so clearly uh, smart and concise what it is about that. Because, you know, the, the Ministry of Gaza, which is a mob... Yeah. Basically, the Ministry of Gaza, they if you work for Hamas, you're either complicit and you're down with their belief system or you're scared to death. Either way, at this point, it's not my fucking problem. That's like because my he, sources, John Gotti and Sammy the Bull Gravano, tell me the FBI right. is committing a genocide against the big, mafia. Big pussy, yeah. Sammy the Bull Gravano <laughs> and Johnny Salami are, yeah. are giving these stats. And you know what's interesting? In the stats, they say that 25,000... Uh, citizens of Gaza have been killed. Two-thirds are women and children. First of all, they don't break down combatants and non-combatants. Everyone's a civilian, according to the Gaza Ministry of Health. Everyone's a-, a civilian. No, no, none of these 25,000 people are, are the ones that were cheering in the street. None of these 25,000 people are Hamas. But the other thing I would say, though, is that we should probably expect that the numbers are pretty high of civilians because we also know that Hamas fires rockets from the parking lots of hospitals. We also know that they place weapon stocks in mosques and under schools, and they have almost, you could argue, rigged all of Gaza in such a way that it forces this terrible choice on the IDF that if they are trying to dismantle Hamas's military machine, which they absolutely have to do, they're going to have to, in some ways, take on these civilian targets. And the hope is, is that they're going to get useful idiots in the West to ignore the fact that Hamas's strategy is to basically set up their military infrastructure under and around and inside the civilian infrastructure. So that's the first thing. So yes, there probably are very high casualties, and it's a terrible thing. I don't. I agree with you. Don't trust the Gaza Ministry of Health uh, for that. But eventually, there probably will be uh, more accurate numbers, and it's a terrible thing. But this is what and you're so fighting. is so is what happened on October seventh. I feel like as Jews, as Jews, we always have to preface everything by going. It's a terrible thing that happened in Gaza, but no one does that regarding us. No well, one does that regarding Israel. But we have to do it because we have to show that we care, that we're loving, that that. that and if we don't do it, you're racist and you're a genocidal, uh, you know, lunatic. Sorry. Yeah, but ahead. the point is that, like, you're talking about war crimes. It's a war crime to fire from these civilian areas. It's a war crime to put your weapons stocks in tunnels underneath hospitals. That is a war crime. It's a wartime to kidnap civilians. Period. 100%. Yeah, period. So that's the first thing. But kind of getting to this other point that you made about incitement, and I think it's really important here. It's not just that saying Israel is committing a genocide hurts my feelings as a Jew who loves Israel. It's that if you really believe that Israel is committing genocide— then what would you not do against Israel or Jews or representatives of Israel? So if you want to understand why that lunatic woman, I think it was like in the first weeks after October 7th, tried to drive into like what she thought was a Jewish school, it ended up being the black Israelites, which are not Jews. But anyway, why did she do that? Because she was brainwashed by this propaganda that is ultimately aimed at allowing you to believe that I can do anything I want to an Israeli or a Jew because Israel is doing all these terrible things. So it's not just a matter of, oh man, I don't want to be called a Nazi. It's a, it's like if you say that lie enough, then it makes it okay to do any number of things you wouldn't do if you knew the facts of the situation. I, I totally agree. And it's so fucking dangerous and it's so irresponsible. And again, that is why I sort of perk up and why I get scared. You know, people are fucking scared because it's like you're saying, if, if motherfuckers are going around saying all fans of the New York Knicks are genocidal, they're genocidal, they're genocidal. The fans of the New York City Knicks are genocidal. It puts the fans of the New York Knicks at risk when they're in, you know, non-Knicks territory. And then there are people who will who who say that, and they're evil. And then there are people. We have a mental health crisis in this country, as you know. I mean, you just. I was just in New York. I mean, you go on the subway, you you're liable to find somebody that's off and might be liable to do something terrible, as we've seen. So when you do that, you find that like people who are mentally imbalanced, kind of 
cling to that and they feel that in their own like fantasy world that they're doing something heroic when they do something absolutely destructive and murderous potentially against Jews. And that is a classic thing. It's why I take it back to the Middle Ages and these other as a Jews from before. When you put out a libel like that, it incites pogroms. People like nobody should have ever believed. I mean, to get, I'm going to go a little deep here. In 1475, there was a terrible lie that Jews kidnapped a boy named, uh, known as Simon of Trent for his blood for, the, for their sacred rituals. And the result was that everybody in the near Jew in the nearby community was basically like, I don't know, they were, they were hunted down and they were killed. Now, we have a state now of Israel. The situation for Jews in this country is very much better than it ever was in like, you know, the 16th century, the 17th century in Europe. But that the point is, is that this kind of thing where these like defamations against Jews or the state of Israel, they have real world effects and they have had that real world effect for centuries. Yeah. So we got to be very aware of that, that it's not just a matter of like, I don't like your language. This is over the top. It's you keep repeating this lie. You're putting Jews and Israelis at risk. I agree. I am Rappaport Podcast. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. John Wall, baby, needs no introduction. Every week, the five-time NBA All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA and what's going on now in the league. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John Wall will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show to give their unfiltered accounts of what's really going on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kalshi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok. Will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L-S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare On to apartheid. Sure. Israel is an apartheid state. Again, I am no expert on Israel, but one thing I did see when I was in Israel um, is that all these signs, the signs on the freeway, all the signs, uh, you know, whether it's like, you know, uh, at coffee stands or whatever, uh, but mostly on the freeway, I, I reference, um, they're in English, they're in Arabic, and they are in Hebrew. That does not feel like an apartheid state to me. I ain't no expert, but that doesn't feel like an apartheid state. The myth that Israel is an apartheid state, what is an apartheid state? Break it down, Eli Lake. All right, apartheid state, and it's it comes from the South Africa model where you had, in that case, the majority of black South Africans who were relegated to a second-class citizenship and were also denied political rights because they were 
exploited in many ways to work in the various mines of South Africa. So that's usually what we mean by apartheid. Now, in the case of Israel, when Israel started after 1948, Arabs were, we should say, second-class citizens. I forget exactly the year. It was sometime in the 1960s. They were given more rights. Um, people like Menachem Begin would campaign in the opposition eventually in 1977. And today you find Palestinian Arabs who are doctors. They serve on the Supreme Court. They have political parties. Before the current government, or I should say this is the unity government, before the Netanyahu government, uh, from before, the, the Arabs were part of the ruling coalition for the first time in Israeli history. It was actually a huge, huge thing. That is not the definition of apartheid. Now, when people say apartheid in this particular case, what they mean to say is the Palestinians who live in uh, the West Bank cannot vote in Israeli national elections, but they do vote for a Palestinian authority. And part of that is because at least for a long time, and still sort of now, there was an understanding that at some point there would be a two-state solution. Now, when people want to say, how do we remedy this situation? Why don't we just give those Palestinians the right to vote? And the problem there is that if Palestinians, even if they didn't have a full majority, but if they voted for parties that sound like, you know, the Palestinian Authority or Hamas, God forbid, today, then you would be voting for a party that basically would want to destroy anything in the Jewish, it would no longer be a Jewish state, it would no longer be a safe haven for Jews. So a one-state solution is a kind of clever way of saying you, you don't want Israel to be a Jewish state. And so in that respect, it's not really applicable. You can't say it's like an apartheid state because there is no legal regime that exists that specifically says anybody who is not a Jew or anybody who is an Arab living in Israel cannot enjoy political rights or can't do all these other things. There are very wealthy Arabs who live in Israel. There are very wealthy Arabs, frankly, who live on the West Bank. It's not the same thing. There was never the kind of exploitative economic relationship between the Jews of Israel and uh, the Palestinian Arabs in that area. In fact, one of the I mean, it's kind of funny because we are diaspora Jews, Michael, but we, you know, the original idea for many of the Zionists was that we were going to take Jews from like, you know, Helm and the Pale of Settlement and Warsaw. They're going to come to Israel and they're going to all become farmers, which is nuts if you think about it. Our people, you know what I mean? We're like lawyers and doctors and accountants and stuff, and we're going to go and work the fields. But that was the idea, and a lot of them did. So it's like, the whole thing, in my view, is like, it's just another kind of slur. It's it's a clever debater's tactic in a way, but it's not. it doesn't really apply. But it is a way of trying to sort of very quickly, again, avoid making the argument or dealing with the facts and just sort of say, and that's why we have to boycott Israel. It's the new South Africa. But they've moved on from South Africa. Now it's the new Nazi Germany. So, you know, congratulations, morons. You know, I, I don't know what to say. I love, I love that the Jews are now the new Nazis. It's Well, it's just, it's disgusting and fucking insulting to anybody who has a memory or the, even if you have a, the slightest paper-thin knowledge of what the Holocaust was. But you hear it now all the time because in some ways it doesn't matter if it coheres with the fact. These people are not interested in engaging in debate, really. They're interested in defaming Israel. It's, it, they want to repeat the lie, repeat the lie, repeat the lie, until enough people think it's true or plausible that, you know, here we are, and Israel becomes isolated, Israel becomes, you know, the target. You know, I look at these fucking tunnels of Gaza. There was just this four-minute video that was posted, IDF, four yeah. minutes, and it was, it was uh, sped up. And these, these hundreds of miles of tunnels of Gaza, and I really imagine if these motherfuckers spent any time doing anything besides building tunnels, the creativity they have in attacking, the creativity they have in propaganda and PR, these are obviously not dumb people. If they yeah. did anything else besides hate Jews and hate Israel... Uh, the Gaza Strip would be uh, a thriving place. It would be a place where it would be, fuck Central Pay, fuck the Cannes Film Festival. We'd have the Gaza International Film Festival. You'd have Ryan Gosling down there celebrating uh, with Jennifer Lawrence, and Quentin Tarantino would be boating up to the, the beaches of Gaza, but they don't want to do that. This is enough with the Israel stuff. I want to do a pivot. I only have got a little bit more time. I want to do a pivot. 
big pivot, a big dick stained pivot. I want to do a big Republican, uh, Democratic, twenty twenty four. Talk about Jalen Brunson. Anyway, <laughs> he, he, he talk about pivots. What a great pivot foot. Um, that was like one of the best moves the Knicks ever made. It might be the single greatest move. I mean, uh, drafting Patrick Ewing was a no brainer, um, and uh, getting Bernard King in those those trades. Uh, you didn't think it would be, uh, the expectations were low because he was a coked out, uh, you know, sort of never, uh, lived up to his expectations, but yeah, Jalen Brunson, fantastic. But, uh, hold on. Bernard King had like two or three years where he was the king of New York. No, I mean. Bernard, Bernard is my guy, but we didn't know that he was going to live up yeah. to those expectations That's when he point, came yeah. in. Bernard yeah. is my fucking guy. 2024, here we are, almost at the end of January. Gun to your head, not who you want. Who will be the president of the United States in November 2024? Gun to my head, I think it's, I'm still going to say Joe Biden, even though I'll buy, if it was anybody but Trump, because I think Trump's going to get the nomination, he would, it would be over for him. But, it, you know, like my view is that the polls that show Trump consistently beating Biden in these swing states are not taking into account that when the chips are down, there are more people in this country who are going to be driven to vote who hate Donald Trump than love him. We saw it in 2020, and I think we'll see it again. Now it's, I, listen, I was wrong. I remember 2016 coming on this show saying, no way Trump's going to win. And I was wrong. So, I mean, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I still think that the lots of people who think that Trump's going to win, like, remember, there's still all these people who they're driven by the negative partisanship. They will do anything to stop him, including voting for a guy who is not all there mentally uh, and is, you know, clearly showing his age in every possible way. So I would say, you know, gun to my head at this point, I'd say Biden, although it's much closer than it probably should be. Do you think that Michelle Obama, this was like the last few days, Michelle Obama running for president has been sort of, people have been like, it's happening. I don't know where they get this. Everybody acts like they have some kind of, you know, intel. Do you think that she'll run for president? I, I, it's a little too late in the game at this point. I mean, there is a precedent for this. 1968, when Lyndon Johnson wins the primary in New Hampshire, but... Eugene McCarthy puts a real scare in him. Bobby Kennedy gets in the race. At that point, Lyndon Johnson shocks the world and announces he's not going to run, you know, for his second full term. And so it's possible, but so far, every signal from the White House is that Joe Biden is running for re-election, even though I'm not sure. I mean, like, how, this guy, apparently, they, they cancel stuff if it's past, like, 6 o'clock or something. How is he going to, like... It's a grind to be a candidate for the president, and he is Fuck. not, like, I don't know if he's physically up to it at this point. He can't run. Like, 2020, he lucked out. He was in the basement because of COVID. You know what I mean? He, well, he didn't have to campaign. He's going to have to campaign. And by the way, whatever you want to say about Donald Trump, that guy still has, like, the energy of a maniac. So I don't know what to say, you know? <laughs> I mean, I agree. I agree. But, you know, I, I will say this. If Michelle Obama signed up to be president at the 23rd hour with 59 seconds left on the clock, if she ran, she'd win. Uh, it, yeah, because I still think Biden But I don't think win. they're about that life. I don't, I don't think no. Michelle Obama and Barack Obama want to get back in that. I just I feel like they've been there, done it. They know what kind of a grind it is. I think that they're living in the lap of luxury. And why would they go back? Because, you know, it'd be one thing, okay, we won. But then you have to do the the job. And I just think they both know, obviously, from experience. It's like, who the fuck wants that job, especially at this point? Well, that's a good point. I mean, listen, if by some miracle Nikki Haley pulls it out, I'm not I'm not holding my breath. I think, I think she would clean up with it. Because this is... The way our democracy is supposed to work is that when you have this kind of, I don't know, malaise in the country after Biden, even if it looks like the economic numbers are not as bad as people think, there's just a sense that like the country wants to move on. They want to get a, a change in there. And when the only alternative is a guy who will not recognize results of elections that he loses, which is a threat to our system, it really puts us in a tough place because I don't think that people want Joe Biden. 
But no. I also don't. I think that there's a majority of Americans who just won't go with Trump. Wow. Well, it's going to be interesting. And um, 2024 is here. So uh, put your fucking. I hope you already have your seatbelts on. I have. I have said that from the beginning. Anyway, Eli, let me let you go. Before, before we go, I got to ask. Go ahead. One one NBA question. Will my beloved 76ers with Joel Embiid playing like Wilt Chamberlain right now make it out of the second round and finally bring some happiness to this long-suffering fan? Well, listen, your Joel Embiid uh, needs to play like Wilt Chamberlain through the playoffs. Your Joel Embiid can't disappear, Yeah, uh, you know, in game sixes, game sevens. Your Joel Embiid needs to stay healthy, um, and, you know, he can't just show up. You know when he's playing against Jokic. Not that he he he's been ridiculous this year. He was incredible last year, but come playoff time, you know his his body seems to break down. His energy That's seems true. to break down. He, you know, I, I I would love to see him keep going forward, but. 300 pounds of loving, man. That's a big. That's a big yeah. boat. He's uh driving into the seas. As a student of the game, we've been watching this. We're around the same age. We've been watching basketball for a long time. Yeah. Have you ever seen a big man with that bag? I'm just talking about the arsenal of moves and shots from anywhere it seems on the floor. I've never seen it. I mean, like, I've seen great centers. I'm still not, you know, like Shaq was unstoppable in his prime. I mean, Hakeem. But I've never seen a guy who can hit it from almost anywhere on the field and do it Euro steps and everything else. It's like unprecedented. He's yeah. sick. The one thing I would love, I mean, aside from the injuries, the one thing I would love from Joel is to be mean yeah. 24-7. Not that you have to be a bastard. I think the thing with him is the injuries. I think the thing with him is the injuries. I love him. He's a gr- he's so fun to watch. He's a great personality. You can't not like him. So, you know, I can't say anything bad about Joel Embiid. His bag is sick. He shoots the it's threes. It's the bag it may be in the league of everyone, including guards. He's doing Kobe shit. Yeah, I he's mean, doing. Like, he's sick. He's fucking seven foot one. I mean, I saw him in real life. I couldn't. He's ginormous. Yeah. He's big. You know, no Bruno. He's. I fuck with Joel Embiid. No Bruno. Anyway, <laughs> Eli, the reeducation of Eli Lake. I think everybody, if you want some, some political, if you want some history, if you want some politics laid out in a simple way, uh, I can't urge you more to listen to the reeducation of Eli Lake, the part-time, sometime official, unofficial world correspondent of the I Am Rap Poor Stereo Podcast. I appreciate you always, and uh, you know, like I said, I'm sending love to you. I'm sending love to to wife, and I'm sending love to the Philadelphia. And I'm sending love to the Philadelphia 76ers. From a Knicks fan. From a Knicks fan. I would send you love to the Philadelphia Eagles, but I would be fucking lying to you. I'd be lying (laughs) to your face. I can't stand those fucks. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, Eli, I appreciate it, my man. Peace, man. Peace. Boom, I want to thank my guest, the official, unofficial world news correspondent, Eli Lake for coming on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Follow him on Twitter. Listen to his podcast, The Re-Education of Eli Lake. And come see me in Jersey this Friday night. I'll be performing in Jersey this Friday night. Red Bank, New Jersey at the Vogel Theater. Miles Jordan, a.k.a. the Bleach Brothers, a.k.a. the Dust Brothers. Take me out here with something real loud. Take me out here with something real nice. But most importantly, end this puppy with something real funky. See, I am Rapport's Terrio Podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And I'm out. Boom. Yes. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kalshi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok. Will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down? Or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L. S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash 
stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.